He is risen. He is risen indeed. Those are the words for centuries the church has used to greet each other on this amazing Sunday morning called Easter. Happy Easter, Linden Road! We're so glad you've joined us this morning. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you. If this is your spiritual home, we're so grateful that you've found time to be with us today. But together as we begin this Resurrection Sunday, a couple of things we want to share with you. We will continue through today to raise monies for the matching grant that's come from our presbytery to send to Ukraine. And if you'd like to be a part of that, you can click on the Give button right above, or there's a link here in the worship notes that can allow you to make your investment in helping those people that are leaving the war-torn area. We are partnering with a ministry in Romania that is specifically working to reach out to children to help them move through the trauma of all they've experienced. And so this is an incredible time for us to invest. Each dollar given will be matched by up to $15,000 through our Presbytery's Mission Fund. And so together we'll send those dollars in next week. But so grateful for your generosity up to this point and look forward to what God will do in and through us for that. On April 23rd, next Saturday night, we will be serving a meal at St. Luke's Point of Grace. And we'd like to invite you to help us purchase a care kit that we want to give to each of the guests that come. We will be giving them uh, uh, just a little packet of personal hygiene items. And if you'd like to be a part of that, again, you could click on the Give button and you could uh, make your investment. Uh, we're going to go out and do the buying for you. It's about $5 per person. And so I would invite you to be a part of that. As we begin our time of worship, let's hear the great words from John's Gospel, Chapter 20, shared with us by the Walter children. Good morning. Today we'll, we will be reading John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, gasping for breath. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. Stooping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloth lying there, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, went to the tomb, took one look at the evidence, and believed. No one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples went back home. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept and knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, Women, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they put him. After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her, Woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, said, Sir, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary, turning to face him. She said in Hebrew, Rabboni, 
meaning teacher. Jesus said, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went, telling the news to the disciples, I saw the Master! And she told them everything he said to her. Again, what amazing words those are as we think about what this morning looked like uh, 2,000 years ago. And we're going to take a deeper dive into those words here in just a moment. Yes, Jesus Christ is alive. He rose from the dead and that day, that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, when Mary and Mary Magdalene and Salome went to the grave expecting to anoint a dead body. They saw the angel sitting there and they said, where is Jesus? The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. I submit to you tonight that that's the greatest news the world has ever heard. He is not here. He has conquered the grave. He's alive. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that there's more proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than almost any other fact in Roman history. I don't believe there's a fact in ancient history today so well proven as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even if there was no proof, no historical proof, no scientific proof, and there is, I would still believe it because I believe this book is God's inspired word and the whole early church went up and down the country preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire that a man had risen from the dead, that he was alive, that death could not hold him. Christ is alive. He's a living Savior. Here's the key idea on this Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. If a resurrected Jesus means that when all seems hopeless, there is hope, what can you do to share your hope with others? That's the challenge. And so I want to look at this story out of John chapter 20. But let me begin first with this. Have you ever noticed how fascinated we are as a culture by last words? I googled last words as a phrase and got something like 41,200,000 results. That's 41 million different sites and articles that discuss this idea of last words. So I know that we're all curious about what people had to say in their final moments of their life. Some people had some sweet and meaningful things to say. For example, Joe DiMaggio said, I finally get to see Marilyn. Uh, or when a priest told the great silent movie actor Charlie Chaplin, may the Lord have mercy on your soul on his deathbed, he replied, Charlie Chaplin said, why not? After all, it belongs to him. And others have left their friends and their loved ones perplexed by what their final words were. Do you know what Walt Disney's last words were? Kurt Russell, whatever that means. Kurt Russell that doesn't have a clue why he would have been mentioned. But nevertheless, those were Walt Disney's last words. And as Christians, we put a great deal of importance on last words. Not just anyone's last words, but mostly the last words of Jesus Christ. This past week, as we experienced uh, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, 
in many worship experiences all over the globe, the statements that Jesus made in his last moments on earth were shared once again, as it's been so for centuries. It's done with reverence and reflection. And so let's hear these words again. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. These are amazingly powerful and profound words. And after Jesus spoke these words, he died. He was taken down from the cross, and he was rushed into a tomb and given a hurried burial so that his followers didn't have to leave his lifeless body on the cross during the Sabbath. But here's the question. We are fascinated by last words, right? But do we give much attention to the first words? We typically don't put as much stock into them because mostly they are simple words. They're just simple sounds, especially if they're coming from the mouth of a baby who's just learned to repeat da-da or mama. Someone's first words don't typically give any insight into what they value or care most about. But what would someone's first words after they came back to life tell us? Surely those words would be incredibly powerful. They would demonstrate what that person cares about, and it will communicate a value to whoever hears them. So in just a minute, I want us to take a look at John chapter 20 again and the first things that Jesus said. Before we get there, though, I want to tell a short story. A pastor friend of mine, Andrew, had been talking to his boys about the what and the why of celebrating of Easter. He said that they had a pretty good grasp on the concepts, because they're pastor's kids, right? How couldn't they? Of what Jesus did uh, by dying and rising again. But it was interesting, one night he asked them what they thought Jesus' first words were after the resurrection. His five-year-old Liam said, I'm here. Uh, Landon, his seven-year-old, said, Landon, who's his seven-year-old, who actually may be pretty smart, maybe even a theologian in training, said, I died on the cross for you, but I'm Jesus, so I didn't stay dead. That's pretty impressive. Good job there in raising that young man. And then he went to his three-year-old son, Luke, and asked him, what did Jesus say when he came back to life? And young Luke thought for a moment, thought for another moment, and then he grinned a real big grin and answered, he said, ta-da! Well, that's not exactly what uh, Jesus' first words were, I'm sure. Together, let's take a look here at John chapter 20 on the account of what led up to those first words that Jesus shared. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. That's verses 1 and 2. So Mary Magdalene had just had the worst 72 hours of her life. Just seven days ago, she had watched Jesus enter into the city of Jerusalem with all sorts of fanfare and excitement that would only come along in a coronation of a king. But late in the week, things turned and began to go horribly wrong. The crowds that loved him just seven days ago on Sunday had turned on Jesus, and Mary saw him beaten and executed. And then to make things even worse, she and his other followers weren't permitted to give him a proper burial. And I can imagine all Friday night and all Saturday, all she could think of was 
giving him the simple honor of a proper burial. She woke before there was any light in the sky. She had no alarm clock, so this probably means that she spent a sleepless night just waiting until the Sabbath was over at sunrise. When she arrived at the tomb, she saw the stone had been rolled away and there was no body inside. And her first reaction, I'm going to guess, was just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, man, it just got worse. Just when I thought I had gone through everything I could possibly go through, someone has stolen Jesus' body. So she runs off to get Peter and John. Most likely they were in the upper room where they had been staying. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. It's John chapter 20, verses 3 through 10. So Mary comes back to the tomb, and the two people that Mary expected to empathize with her more than anyone else on the planet were leaving. They somehow seemed happy about this, but Mary didn't. She didn't understand. She was exhausted physically. She was going on no sleep, and she had already walked into the pre-dawn hours from where she was staying in Jerusalem to the tomb, and then had run from the tomb to the upper room. She wasn't wearing Nike running gear. I'm going to guess she probably slipped and tripped a couple times. She was exhausted mentally. The one she put her faith in had been executed in front of her. She had not been able to say goodbye properly to this man. It appeared that his body had been stolen, and the people that she expected to understand what she was going through had just left her there. She was exhausted emotionally, and she just lost it. Continuing here in the scriptures, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Verses 11 through 13. Now it's interesting, the word for crying that we read here in verse 12 is the same identical word used throughout the New Testament for wailing. And that's not going after a big fish, where she was so deep into her, her grief. And so this isn't just a little sniffle. She is beyond distraught. She was inconsolable, probably. And she didn't even realize that she was speaking to angels. And then Jesus shows up. Again, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she did not realize that it was Jesus, verse 14. Now, we don't know why, but she didn't recognize him. Maybe it was still too dark. Maybe her eyesight was so clouded by her tears. We don't know, but she saw Jesus behind her and then turned right back to the tomb. She was convinced that someone had stolen Jesus' body. I'm going to guess that Jesus may have had a giant grin on his face in that very moment. He saw this person he loved. He saw this one whom he had healed of demon possession, who had followed him so faithfully, and who had completely lost hope. I think that Jesus was smiling because he knew that in just a matter of moments, just by saying a few words to her, her world was going to completely change again, and her hope would be restored. 
And this hope wouldn't be for any earthly kingdom or temporary peace, but this hope would be for an eternal kingdom and an everlasting peace. The scriptures continue. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. John chapter 20, verse 15. Do you know why she thought he was the gardener? It was because she didn't expect to see him. She didn't expect a resurrection. She didn't expect to ever have hope again. And then the scriptures continue. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, verses 16 and 17. And I'm pretty sure that Jesus said next, I know you've already been to the city and back twice today, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to go do it again. And this time, you aren't going to tell the disciples, my brothers, that the tomb is empty. Here's what you're going to tell them. You're going to tell them that I am alive and that you've seen me. Again, the scripture, verse 18, says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them he had said things to her. This is important. Pay attention. The person, the woman who just a moment or two ago had been weeping and wailing, who had absolutely in the moment had no hope, she was now bringing the message of hope to everyone else. So you see, what happens when we meet a resurrected Jesus is it changes everything. A resurrected Jesus means many things. It means that even when life seems to be at its worst, that God is still working. It means that all that stuff that he said, that Jesus said about God hearing our prayers, is absolutely true. It means that all the things that he said about living with eternity in mind, and not just for the present, is a life worth living. And a resurrected Jesus means that when all seems hopeless, there is hope. I want you to ponder that for a moment. The absolute best that Mary Magdalene had hoped for on Easter morning, this Sunday morning, the best possible scenarios that she had played out in her mind, that she had imagined, was that she was going to have the opportunity to clean the dried blood off of a corpse. But a resurrected Jesus means that she got more than she could have ever hoped for. As we gather here on Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Sunday, on this Resurrection morning, let me ask you a question. Do you have that kind of hope this morning? Do you have that hope of peace and that purpose in this life and the promise of eternity with Jesus in the next life? The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, it means that we have hope, no matter what goes on in our world. This is what we are celebrating today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this truth. And as we lean into understanding who you are, I pray that we would encounter you in a fresh and new way. Thank you for restoring us, Jesus, by your death and your resurrection. And 
Give us the power through your Holy Spirit to lean into all that you have for us. And we pray it in your strong and victorious name. Amen.